You're listening to Of Slights and Men with Benji and Jacob. A Daily Magician Production. Hello, this is Jacob of the Future. And before we get into this podcast, I just wanted to really quickly shout out thedailymagician.com. Uh, that is the place where you can go and sign up for our daily emails. Uh, we found out after this podcast that Maurice Muller himself has actually signed up, which is fun. We love having people like him on the list. Uh, we're trying to build a community of magicians that interact with each other daily, uh, who get great daily content. Um, we love having anyone uh, of all all types of magicians, all levels of magicians on our list. Um, so please head over to thedailymagician.com, sign up there, join our growing community, and uh, you won't regret it. Hello and welcome to Of Slights and Men. We are thrilled to have Maurice Muller on the show today. And obviously I'm joined by my friend uh, Benji. Uh, so Maurice, how, how are you doing? How, how's your day been so far? I'm doing very well. Uh, yeah, I woke up, uh, had breakfast, went for a run, did some university stuff. And now I'm doing a crazy podcast, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard it described like that before, but I'll take it. <laughs> a crazy so podcast. Bro, we gotta, we gotta put that on the website, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're missing a trick there. Thank <laughs> um, so for having me on, you know, it's really a blast. Well, thanks for coming on. So I'll, I'll do my quick little, uh, I always like to do a little bio of the guest um, before we start, just for anyone that's listening who doesn't know who uh, Maritz is. Maritz is basically the Mozart of magic in the sense that he uh, <laughs> burst on the scene at a very young age uh, and, and blew up in a way of his skill. Um, plus, he's German, so its uh, <laughs> similarities are astonishing. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> what do you think of that, Maritz? <laughs> like, you can put that one on your website. We get crazy podcasts and you get the Mozart of magic. <laughs> yeah i don't know it's always weird to talk about yourself and like what what do you say like if i if i especially as a european especially as a european isn't it you're like because yeah go ahead like i have two options like two roads to go down at this point i can either be like yeah that that fits like that's an accurate description of my life which would be arrogant as or i'm like no no <laughs> but i i don't really know you know you can never really talk objectively about yourself so yeah i guess we'll it's, it's we'll just it. wait and see then because uh you're young right you're you're 20 have i got that right yeah 20 exactly 20 so there's plenty more of this book left right um yeah, yeah. definitely so between us we're almost the age of an average magician <laughs> yeah if you add if you add all of our ages up we're, we're, yeah scratching the surface of like most magicians <laughs> yeah yeah uh sick all right so maurice um obviously you know it's the cliche question but we always have to ask it to our guests um i saw on alan degeneres that you said that um well you were 14 on that right and you said you started two years ago so i'm, yeah. I'm guessing that you started magic at 12 that is correct um, so how did it all begin how what happened well, so my dad is a magician as well, and uh, but I I never really got interested in it for some reason. Like my brother, my older brother used to like make my sister float on stage when he was like I don't know like five six years old or something. Uh, but to me, it was normal always, family. 
yeah, yeah but he uh, he sort of like dropped it at some point it was just like he likes to say it was like this phase where he just like did what he was told <laughs> so, but he never really like, <laughs> like he wouldn't say it was like his favorite thing or like a huge hobby right. for him. and i just never really got interested in it for some reason but then on my 12th birthday uh, i invited some friends over and they were like oh i heard your dad is a magician that's crazy And I was like, yeah, well, you know, whatever, I know, <laughs> because it was always like around. It's like this thing that your dad does, so it's like normal to you, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but then uh, my friends asked to see something, and my dad would like show them a couple things. And that moment, I really began to like it because it was the first time I sort of saw it through someone else's eyes, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and then I just like asked my dad uh, for some resources, and uh, yeah, I just like never got bored of the subject ever since. <laughs> That, that's interesting. Oh, that's really so w when most people start magic at a young age, they get given like a, you know, like a magic kit and, and maybe there's some corny kind of stuff in there. Um, although, you know, some of it's pretty interesting and the, the I don't go too deep in this, but I've talked about how magic kits, you know what, I'm not even going to do this right now. Let's not talk about <laughs> magic kit for 10 minutes. So I was going to say there's some stuff in magic kits. It's kind of interesting because it taps into like the essence of uh, the, the way magic is perceived because it's, it's the most sort of common gateway into magic so you kind of have to distill it down into this one little product and i don't know maybe i'm taking that too deep it's just a magic kit my main point that i completely got sidetracked from was most people get a magic kit i'm guessing if your dad was already a magician instead of giving you a magic kit he gave you like <laughs> yeah. all right here's um greater magic go read like every page <laughs> or or was it more of a general like a, a sort of a step-by-step -step approach uh no he uh, gave me card college And I uh, just started reading that, but then pretty soon I uh, sort of trans transitioned to coin magic because I just, it was just so, so fascinating to me how, because I, he taught me a French drop, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was insane to me how many subtleties go into making that deceptive, right? Like something mm -hmm. as simple as not really putting a coin in your hand, which most people like even know as a method, Right. Like, if, mm -hmm. if you don't do it incredibly well, like, people, like, think they know the method. It's probably something your grandpa showed you at some point. Uh, but all the little subtleties that go into that, that, that can make it really deceptive, like, where you look, how you shift your body weight, the timing of it all. Uh, and, and that was just so fascinating to me. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that, that was sort of why I fell in love with, with coin magic. But did you, did really you cool. keep the cards up? Because I... I think from what I know, you, you do card stuff too, right? It's, but it's, exactly. If exactly. you had to pick... Oh, maybe we shouldn't do this so early, but if you had to pick, <laughs> would it be a coin? Um, right now, I think it would be cards, actually. Oh, uh, because, interesting. We've got an upset on our hands. <laughs> because about, I was like, two, three years ago, I, because like, even though I always sort of did cards uh, a little bit as well, like next to the coin stuff, um, I really started focusing on it about two, three years ago. Mm -hmm. and uh because in card magic there are just like a little bit more options that you have mm -hmm. like both in terms of method and in terms of presentation right and mm -hmm. i think it boils down to just the amount of information like contained within your prop right because mm -hmm. uh, a coin is either there or it isn't yeah, yeah. or it's copper or it's silver or there's amounts of coins mm -hmm. right but with cards there's amounts of cards there's value of cards there's mm -hmm. back designs of cards There's suit mm -hmm. and there's stuff you can remember. And it's so many objects that you can even do stuff like, oh, I try to find it in this mess, you know, and, and mm -hmm. they have an orientation for triumph or twisting the aces or something. So I think there's just like a, bunch, a lot more effects possible. 
Uh, mm. Whereas in coin magic, uh, it, to me, it's really about just like refining the simplest of effects, like a great vanish sequence, a great traveling sequence, maybe a really good wild coin. And you're pretty much, if you have like a, a very good version of each of those, like you are a really good coin magician already. So whereas, you know, the whole world of card magic seems to be a bit more diverse. Yeah. It's yeah. um, it's interesting because that's actually one of the reasons um, we we often talk about the memorized deck, and, and one of the reasons we like it so much is kind of basically along the same lines of what you're saying, um, but taking it to an even sort of deeper extreme, which is that um, yeah, I think one of the things you were talking about was the, the properties of cards, right? There's, there's more properties of cards yeah. than there are properties of coins. And then when you bring in the memorized deck, even though it's not uh, visible to the spectator, you you suddenly have a whole host of additional properties. That I, I don't want to get too deep into uh, method on this, but if you know how a memorized deck works, it's suddenly like <laughs> you just took all the properties you had, and now you've just like doubled it. And so there's now there's just thousands of stuff you can do with it. And I always found that interesting. So I think, yeah, I think we're working on the same lines there, which is interesting. It Although, is in mm-hmm. one of my favorite books about memorized deck work is In Order to Amaze by Pitt Hartley. Mm-hmm. And in the introduction, he actually mm-hmm. writes that he always felt like putting a deck into your memorized order is sort of like loading it up with energy. Mm-hmm. And, and I always thought that was like a great like way of looking mm-hmm. at it because it's just right. like like another step. You you are like in like it's another advantage you have over your spectators, right? Like mm-hmm. you already in Magic, there's a lot of advantages you have already. Right, you know how the trick is going to end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you put a lot of work in beforehand, right? You practice this a bunch, and they have no mm-hmm. idea what to expect. But that just like takes it to to another level, right? Much like like a gimmick or something. Mm-hmm. But but what's really interesting about the memorized deck is it's an advantage without a disadvantage. So the, a gimmick gives you an advantage, but there's also there's kind of a downside to it, which is it's a gimmick. Maybe they can't examine it, or they're gonna uh, you have to hold your angles, that kind of thing. Whereas a memorized deck, because of its nature, it's like it's just pure advantage. Like in every other sense, it's the same as a normal deck of cards. So there's nothing on uh, objectively that's different. And so there's no, there is no kind of downside to it, but it's all mm. it's like pure advantage, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Well, the cards can't be shuffled that much, but I get what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. I guess you'd give them that one, but I think uh, if you were to tally it up, it's, it's probably going to win, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I'm just sort of getting out of a very heavy memorized deck phase mm-hmm. because uh, you know I, I I I'm in love with the with the concept I'm in love with the technique I'm in love with all the things you can do with it mm-hmm. but um, which is like there's a trap I definitely fell into where you begin to make you want to make every trick a memorized deck trick you want every mm-hmm. trick to maintain stack or like to use it mm-hmm. or at least maintain it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like an old saying, like when all you have in your toolbox is a hammer, every problem begins to look yeah, like yeah, a nail, yeah. right? And I definitely think that's true for magic to a certain extent. So right now I'm just trying to uh, to make better judgments in terms of techniques because there are some, I, I uh, keep a notebook and when I just like flip through some old pages, I, I just like saw this effect that I so hard, like tried to make it with a named card and and then later I just realized, wow, you, you just like shouldn't do it with a name card. Like it's obviously worse. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, so sometimes I think it can be dangerous to fall in love with methods. 
because well, you mm-hmm. sort of lo- lose eye of like you lose that objectivity mm-hmm. to see what fits in a certain situation right mm. it's interesting because there's different there's different um there's different types of magicians i think this is something um i don't know uh if you've i'm i'm sure you have you've heard of why am i even asking this you know aaron fisher right his some of yeah. his work yeah, of course. um he talked a lot when i was working with him about these three main categories of magicians and so there's the um there's the uh there's the mechanic there's the technician and there's the showman and so yeah. the showman is somebody who loves the effect and that's all it all that matters to them is the effect and so they they focus purely on the effect and, and perform for people and um sort of the end result rather than uh the the, the modus operandi that gets them to that result and yeah. then you have the uh the mechanic who you know, maybe they like effects, but the thing they care about is the the kind of hands on the practice, right? What they really love is sitting down and, and drilling and practicing and, and the actual craft. And then there's the technician, which is the kind of people who love just exploring the ideas and uh, coming up with you know experimental stuff, fringe methods, and um, they they kind of fall in love with constructing the method. And I don't know, I always found that to be an interesting characterization. I would say I'd, I'd probably fall in the technician category. Um, but I don't know if they're exclusive. I think you can have a crossover and you can you can kind of mix, match, and stack. But that was just reminding me of that. I think it's a pretty interesting concept. Yeah, I think that's actually a pretty fitting description. What I talked about, one of my best friends is a guy called Semyon. And we recently talked about how sort of magicians really like to put others down for their love, for the reasons they love magic. Like, we so love to put ourselves above other groups of magicians. Like, oh, uh, you know, those guys only care about, they they just buy the effects from the dealer and then just perform Mm -hmm. them. Or, oh, those guys are just move monkeys, you know? Mm -hmm. And you sort of lose track that we're sort of all in the same boat. We all have this passion and we all try to become better at this thing that we love. And which is not, I'm not like trying to like raise my pointer finger here and be like, oh, <laughs> this is what everyone else does wrong except me. Like, yeah. I of course also sometimes. Just, just tell like, us some magicians you hate when we'll blank it out. <laughs> 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 For Arias only. <laughs> I don't really. Oh, yeah, I, will, I would say it. I would say it. <laughs> you say yeah, that I, I like most magicians, to be honest. <laughs> like I, I don't think there's like a lot of huge idiots. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's kind of interesting because what, what uh, you're saying, sorry, yeah, uh, yeah. I was just, what you're saying is it's kind of a, a handicap to the human race in general, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> a bunch of people trying to show that they're better than other people. I mean, it's definitely a problem in magic, but yeah. I think it's a, a problem in general, right? And I think it's it's only emphasized in magic because people are always trying to. Uh, demean other people's opinion because they think that theirs is the best right and I, and I think that you see the same thing it's like I don't know um, it comes down at least for me it's like if people like buying people's effects and then just performing them like what well, I mean that's fine like if people yeah. love just like learning moves like like I said move monkeys like what's wrong with that you know like <laughs> if that's what they enjoy and that's where they find passion within magic then like let them do it, you know, as long as they're not hurting anyone, as long as they're not, you know, giving away people's secrets or whatever, you know, yeah. I was going to say, I've actually talked about this a little bit. It's in one of the earlier episodes of this podcast. I think it was a solo one where I talk about 
um, the the fabled like new product junkie. Where there's a lot of these old magicians who um they have this sort of uh, strict um, path that every magician is meant to walk down. Where it's you know you got to read this book, you got to read this book, you got to yeah. uh, do this, do this, and so they kind of uh, scorn the um, the magic releases that get put out and say you know oh that's garbage, that's garbage, it's just all garbage, you know it's all just garbage, it's all garbage, you know, and and I'm, I'm actually repeating that pretty much verbatim. Um, and I always find it weird because I actually think there's a whole other category of magician. Because um, we used to saying before about the kind of people that just buy it straight from the dealer and then, then go out and perform it. There's also the kind of people who just buy it straight from the dealer, but they don't perform it. And yeah. what they get out of magic is the, the sort of the mystery and the payoff of, wow, that's an amazing trailer. Let's hit order. You know, it's $10. Like, what, what does that matter? That's not going to make or break my rent this month. <laughs> and then the trick comes. They open it up, and then they see the method. And, and so the whole thing is like a magic trick for them because they see the mystery. They want to get the method. And that is the whole sort of uh, cycle. It's just that's where they get the end. It's, it's just like shopping, you know? It's like I don't get why that's – it's not strange when somebody goes to a um, to some uh, shopping center and, like, buys a bunch of nice outfits. Maybe they're not going to wear all the outfits out. But the, it's more just the – experience of shopping that is the the fun of it for them and that's especially amped up i think with magic because of the inherent mystery in the product so it becomes its whole little category itself just buying magic it's quite fascinating yeah it's like this sort of collection thing you just like want to know as many things as possible and you want to own as many of the tricks as you can yeah 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 i just raised my hand yeah but use it (laughs) it reminded me of an article that i read recently um in Forbes, uh, which makes me sound uh, <laughs> <laughs> professional. Uh, I read uh, an article in Forbes, which was about uh, why like the 1% are obsessed with magic. Uh, and I think it's it's kind of interesting. It's, it's kind of like what you were saying, Benji. It's just like, mm-hmm. as humans, we just have this like innate thing where we like to know like what other people don't know, you know? And like, it's kind of the same thing with these like new product junkies, which is like, like you said, like, it's like, that like so much of the fun is just like wow like that was amazing like i've watched a magician for years like i want to know how it's done you know and and i i think it's a similar thing with the one percent is like having one over or even just finding that like mysticism um in a world that maybe you can book you know when you when you're like a billionaire and you can kind of have whatever you want i think it's interesting because what you can't have is like um almost you know people's intellectual property you know Mm. and so when it when it comes to like magicians you can't unless they release their magic you will never know how it's done if you don't know the methods you know if you can't figure it out yourself you will never know how that trick's done right and so that's something that money can't buy and, and i and i think that's so fascinating the fact that the one percent are so obsessed with magic um and the fact that you have these new product junkies i think it's all part of the same which is just people like knowing what other people don't know you know <laughs> and also yeah. Yeah, and just there's some things that you just can't get right unless they give the, it to you. And I, I don't know. I just think I think that's really really interesting. Yeah, I think. I think. Getting back to that yeah, go ahead. Aspect uh, you talked about, right? With uh, how magicians like amongst each other, they are, they really want to just like, put themselves above other magicians. Uh, I think it really is, is is it's difficult for a lot of magicians because in their like normal everyday life, they are the one that is different, right? They have mm. thing that sets them apart from everyone else. They do magic, yeah, yeah. right? So it is probably very hard 
for a lot of people when they get together with other magicians or they see other magicians on Instagram or, or anywhere. Mm. And, and it's just like, oh, they're, they're like, it came almost with this feeling of they're taking something away from me that makes me special. And I think that leads to a lot oh, of comparison. That's and, deep. And like this sort of like dick sized comparisons that you get a lot. Like mm. who does the most difficult <laughs> material, who can do the craziest moves, who is the most creative. And Answer to all of the above is Jay Sankey. <laughs> <laughs> Including the... Uh, si- okay, no, let's not do that. Um, <laughs> you know what you meant, Jay. Basically, man, I hope this isn't... Uh, Maybe we can add... Oh, whatever. Screw it. Um, yeah, one thing I was going to point out, just people don't get the wrong idea Listen to this again. Suddenly really excited. But <laughs> we're talking about the correlation between um, being a magician or uh, and being a billionaire. So let me point out, just for anyone who maybe didn't get the memo, most of them uh, became billionaires and then got interested in magic. It usually doesn't happen the other way around. I don't... <laughs> I think there's only one billionaire magician. I think that's David Copperfield, but I'm not even sure that's 100% legit. So... I just yeah. wanted to make sure people don't get the the correlation is sort of uh, the other way around. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about that, but generally... But if you buy our course, you will become a <laughs> <laughs> That's our next product. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, Morita, I wanted to jump back for a second because we didn't kind of finish your origin story. I, I want to know... So, okay, so I'm gonna, let me get this straight. So you have a birthday when you're 12... Your dad does some magic tricks. Your friends are like, whoa, that's cool. And you're like, oh, I, you, see, you see it through their eyes, right? Because you have always grown up with your dad doing magic. And so then suddenly you saw it in this new way. He gives you um, college, what was it? Uh, card college. He gives you that book. Yeah, card college. Um, and then what happens next? Because it seems like <laughs> two years later, you're on Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> so <laughs> how did that happen? There's a lot of happened in that time, but it's not really a good story. It's just like a lot of me sitting in my room and practicing and thinking. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, there was, it's not really like crazy stories to tell, like, oh, I traveled to India and I met this guru. <laughs> there's, there's no like crazy origin story like that. It was just a lot of thinking, a lot of obsession with it's, the it's, yeah, yeah, it's good for people to hear that, though, because sometimes it's... No, really. You can't, it's, it's kind of dumb, but you sometimes forget, like... You know, if you want the results, you kind of have to put in the work. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, and I'm not saying yeah. like, I drilled all like, like I'm not saying like I had a training plan and I was like super strict about it. And I like put in the work. That's not how like, I. I just really, oh, I can just honestly say that I absolutely, with everything that I am, just love the subject. I love how it always poses different questions to us. How it's so complex and so simple at the same time. And because every time I sort of get bored of magic, you can just shift focus and you you have a completely different subject, even though it's within the same umbrella of magic, you have a completely different subject that you can just explore. For example, when you just get bored of practicing some technique for hours on end, just read a theory book or perform or think about performance or do some creative exercises, try to make a new method for an old plot or something like that. Yeah, that, that's that's cool. It's funny I, when you were like talking about the origin story. I just suddenly had this idea of your dad. You know, you're like, "Hey, dad, look, I, I, I want to learn magic," and he's like, "Okay, take that ornament and over <laughs> there." You know, kind of like the Karate Kid kind of origin story. <laughs> you're like, "But dad, like, why do I have to do that?" He's like, yeah. "Just trust me. Just put that over there." 
and yeah, then like hands you a deck of cards, you got a perfect double lift. <laughs> <laughs> hands you coins are suddenly disappearing. <laughs> yeah, so that must be wait. So what is what is um what did your dad think then when if he was a magician already and then um you got into it and then like we said two years later you're on Ellen was he uh, I'm guessing he was kind of proud right like like or was that weird because you know he's a magician too but uh, as far as I, I know like weird like. I don't think a lot of like dads are in, in in like uh, are, are like offended if their son succeeds mm. in something, you it's know, kind of an, ex- an extension of themselves at, at some point. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I would say was proud. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would. Bro, say you know, be funny. <laughs> I guess imagine like uh, Maritz is on Alan, and then he's like, "And for my last trick," <laughs> and your dad just pops up from behind a chair. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Okay, I have one so, question. No, sorry. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, sorry, I should have raised my hand. That's my bad. <laughs> yeah, come on. Etiquette. <laughs> Got much. Sorry. Oh, I'm going first. Okay. I didn't even have to raise my hand. There we go. I'll just do it. <laughs> for, for anyone that... The, the program that we were using... Yeah, we're not actually sat not around a table raising yeah. our hand. <laughs> We are having a bunch of fun with this hand-raising system that is implemented into the recorder we are using. And, uh, yeah, because I'm guessing up until now, it was just, like, mayhem in this podcast. Like, no one knew. Pure (laughs) chaos. Now we have this amazing function that is, like... Like you said, the crazy podcast. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Well, the function that only I'm using... Um, and now I've completely forgot my question, so Benji, go. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I I remember mine, so I'll go. Okay, um, Given that we're on the topic, we've kind of been skirting around the topic of Ellen, maybe we'll come back to it, but anyone who doesn't know, uh, Maritz was on the Ellen DeGeneres show. Um, man, what a flex. Um, so I wanted to ask how it felt, right? I don't know, maybe you didn't even pick up on this, maybe you're too young, maybe it's a good thing, but how did it feel, right? Um, being in this weird position where you're in sort of the limelight, right? Um, not not in terms of the public eye, because the public eye, maybe they see the, the Alan thing, like, oh, that's cool. And then, you know, they're just going to go do something else and forget about it, most of them. But when magicians see that, all right, now the magicians clock on, they see somebody who's really young, but really skilled. And then there's this sort of unspoken assumption that, oh, wow, like if they're this good right now, how good are they going to be in you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years? And so now they've got their eye on you and they're thinking, wow, you know, if you're good here, then by all rights, you should be this good by this age. And, and did it ever feel like there was um, some kind of pressure in, in that, like you had to, to match up those expectations, given that you were so good when you were young, it's like, it, it's almost like your lead to lose. Um, maybe that's a harsh way of putting it, but hmm. maybe you didn't even pick up on that, but it seems like so far you've you've sort of ran with that and it's been amazing. But has there ever at any point been that pressure? It's like, okay, I'm in a pretty good position where I'm, I'm really good and I'm like 14. Most people aren't this good when they're 40. So now it's like, what are you going to do with that? And, and did you ever feel that? Um, you, you know, I think it is not as big a problem in magic as it is when you, you do music or something, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because you can so easily just remove yourself from all that pressure Mm-hmm. Right, it's not like when you go to a bar, like someone will like say, "Hey, Morris, like, <laughs> when is your new download cat?" Like, no one yeah, is yeah. gonna like that is not part of 
your everyday life, right? So mm -hmm. if it ever like gets too much for you on, I don't know, like Facebook, Instagram, something like chasing likes or whatever, you can just lock yourself out and like, there goes that problem, you know? So I wouldn't say I ever felt like insanely pressured to, to improve because I don't know, it was always like this very internal thing to me because like once you become reasonably good at something, of course you want to become better, right? It's always, it almost becomes this, like, like it, it, it's, um, there's a momentum, you know? Yeah, there's a momentum. It's like, it keeps itself going, you know? Self-perpetuating. Yeah, exactly. And my English was not a good, good enough. <laughs> well, well, I was going to say, that was the other question we we're going to ask you. <laughs> it's always your English so good. Yeah, what the frick? Dude, literally, um, like, I, I'm, like, looking at this kid, and he's, like, I see you on Adam DeGeneres. I'm, like, yeah, like, the magic's amazing, but, like, your English was, like, impeccable. So, where did you, <laughs> where did you find the time to get good at both of those? Um, well, uh, I guess it's uh, somehow connected, because a lot of the information oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. available in English. Mm -hmm. So I guess I did learn some English through magic and mm -hmm. the other way around. Like it's, I would say it's a little interconnected, but um, I really love movies. And, uh, and I think I was like oh. pretty man after a heart. <laughs> when I really wanted to uh, like see my favorite movies in the original language, right? Mm -hmm. because, uh, my mom is someone who always watches everything in in the original language, mm -hmm. uh, and I just and whenever I saw her do that, and I asked her like why or what is better about it, and she just like told me about all these like little things that get lost in translation. And uh, so I just like wanted to watch my favorite movies in English. So I just began watching Harry Potter or something that I've seen a bunch of times in German in English. And I guess that all also was a good way to learn the language mm -hmm. because you, you know exactly like what is going to happen. So you won't have any huge issues with understanding the main plot points. And if you already roughly know mm -hmm. what they're saying, like it's much easier to just pick up on, mm -hmm. on the words that they use, like the construction and it's, yeah, I wouldn't say there was like crazy effort involved. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny. Uh, I I actually learned something pretty interesting. I want to ask you about it. <laughs> I heard wait, wait, wait. that. Wait, wait. Is it the same thing? Uh, <laughs> most definitely not. I just want to get this in because it's 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 going to be absolutely non-relevant in about five minutes, and then it's just going to be like <laughs> a wasted thing. And I'm sorry. And I should have raised my hand. And I know it. <laughs> That's disgusting. Uh, I'm going to have to mute you. <laughs> No, I was going to say it was reminding me of. Um, uh, I was reading an article about um, Bobby Fischer. You know the yeah, chess I, guy. I love chess. By the way, <laughs> oh, <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so Bobby Fischer, when he was young, learned Russian just so that he could read the articles about his competitors that were being published in like their home country of russia Dang. and like learn stuff about them and their game and like i was like dude that guy's got a warrior mindset what a beast <laughs> it just reminded me of that because he, he learned russian just to up his chess game yeah well, if you thought if you thought what oh yeah go ahead Mortis. that's fine oh uh, a lot of people Mortis. Uh, I, I know that Pitt actually Pitt hartley actually mm. learned uh, spanish just to be able to talk to juan and read all, oh, wow. the, all the words <laughs> So yeah, but that's I, I also want to learn. But you know what's funny though is that Juan, Juan doesn't Juan speak a little bit of English and Pitt also speaks English. So, but, yeah, but yeah, it's, you get that uh, pure kind of. Connection. 
connection. I get that. It's the thing because um, I was at, at Escorial last year. And mm -hmm. uh, even though most people there speak English reasonably well, like still most of the people when they get up and talk about their subject, it's mostly in Spanish. And I do completely understand that they, because they're sort of in the Spanish school bubble, like they don't want to, to speak in English just to just to make it more comfortable for the, I don't know, like five non-Spanish uh, non speaking people there. So I definitely see the reason to learn it. And I do want to learn Spanish at some point. Mm. Yeah. But oh, this even, is... even though, uh, even though uh, Juan... Uh, does speak uh, English reasonably well. Uh, Gabi didn't at all. Mm. It, it was so interesting. Like he, not a word. Like when mm. I uh, like when I talked to him, I, like I, I just I, you know it was like difficult to communicate. Mm. But I just wanted to tell him that I love his oil and water. Mm. And I was like, your oil and water is amazing. And he was like, what? Mm -hmm. I, like he didn't even say what. He was just like looking at me <laughs> like, like, with the question marks in his eyes, you know. And there was like oil and water. And, and like he didn't like he, like that didn't mean anything to him. And then I was like, oh, uh, agua y cita. He's like, ah, agua y cita. <laughs> so like, and then I just find amazing. Like, but that just like shows you how nurturing like the Spanish environment mm. can be. Like, you never need to know the the word like the names of the plots. That is interesting. Yeah. In, in English, to become as good as Gabi was, like yeah. that, and that that's saying a lot. Wow. Well, they're, they're the gurus cool at the top of the mountain, so it's everybody else that has to kind of put in the work to get up there. But, you know, when you're at the top of the mountain, you can kind of, like, sit back and chill <laughs> to an extent. <laughs> My question was, in a even more unrelated note, talking about movies. <laughs> yes. See, now I you're learned... the problem I was going to have, where, like, it's totally irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I want to ask this. I learned that Arnold Schwarzenegger has a super like hillbilly accent and that he wasn't allowed to dub Terminator. Did you know that? No, I didn't. I yeah. <laughs> Wait, you, you mean in his like native or? <laughs> yeah. So this is funny, right? So obviously Arnold Schwarzenegger wanted to dub the German version of, of Terminator, right? <laughs> I, I, so, and, and he asked the producers like, can I dub the German version? Cause you know, that's a cool thing to do uh, as an, as an Austrian. Um, and so anyway, the producers, he kind of <laughs> he wasn't allowed because Arnold Schwarzenegger's accent in German is apparently, <laughs> and I don't know, but is apparently like a like hillbilly because he's like a farmer, like Kazakh kind of like farmer, like rural accent, and so that everyone yeah. they they thought everyone would just laugh if, if if his voice was in Terminator and like this robot from the future kind of sounded like yeah yeah I'll come back now <laughs> they, they didn't really think that that would work. I got a gun over here, <laughs> your name on it, buddy. <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> oh, fuck. Put it down. Anyway, that did, have you heard his accent in German? Have you ever heard him speak? Because you would know, right? Because I can't I, hear accents. I, I think I did uh, hear it at some point, but I don't like. I, I don't think I accurately yeah, remember right now. Week, right? But, but, I, but I will definitely check it out after we're done with the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I really want to hear Arnold Schwarzenegger like sound like a hillbilly. I know. Oh man, that made me laugh. Uh, and then another thing was, it's funny because uh, I, I lived in France for two years and a lot of people said that. They're like, oh, like, you know, as a kid, I just watched movies in English and kind of just like clicked. And like, <laughs> I watched this show, this French show called Code Lyoko, 
from like the time that I was like five up until twelve, and I swear, bro, I, I could only say like under twelve. So I don't know how you, you guys have something else in your blood over there in like mainland Europe because I it does did not click the same way for me. Yeah, but French is weird. Like <laughs> that doesn't count. <laughs> and German isn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's true. At least German sounds a bit more like. At least German's more like. At least English has like Germanic yeah. roots. Well, that's what I was gonna say. Is like German. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, created I my was... language. No, <laughs> I took um... French in school, and I don't like nothing stuck. Like it's, it's dude, it's, it's so insane to me how you can spend like two hours every single <laughs> week, yeah. like from when you were twelve. <laughs> Until like uh, well, I I didn't do it by the end, but like un- until seven for five years or something, mm. right? You you every week two hours and nothing stuck. Like, <laughs> dude, it, it's so funny because all of the French high school kids and like well, so like because I, when I was there, I was like eighteen till twenty, so like obviously it was like chilling. All of them say the same thing about German, dude. I, I genuinely think that French and German are like the most incompatible languages, <laughs> like because all of them are like I just. I just don't understand. I mean, that the English is terrible too, but I, I, I think those two <laughs> two languages do not go together. It's funny. Man. I think it's because in French, it is very important, like the flow of everything. And right. You, a lot of the time, there are like syllables added when it doesn't really make sense from like a grammatical point of yeah. view. Yeah, just but, the most annoying language ever. Yeah, just to make it sound a little... Nice. Better. Yeah, literally though, like... Their yeah. like main problem is we just want this language to sound nice. So it's like, why is there an e here? Why is there an accent on that? Yeah. It's like, well, because it would sound bad the other way. It's like, yeah. well, great. <laughs> In German, exactly the opposite. Like yeah, <laughs> almost everything. What? Is, like, very strict. No way. <laughs> like, you're like it's like the German thing. Like it's very precise. Everything. Has to be, like, yeah. <laughs> everything has to be like a system of rules. And it has to, like all make sense. Like, <laughs> Yeah, which it never does. Like languages never make complete sense, but mm. German people are really trying. <laughs> yeah, what I I I lived in Switzerland for a while, and it was weird because um okay, so yeah, I lived in like Switzerland for a year, and then France for another year, and obviously there's like Swiss German, and that was uh, that sounds really weird. Like uh, yeah. I like normal German to me. Uh, no offense to like Swiss German speakers, but normal German to me sounds like way nicer. Because when I would hear Swiss German, I'd just be like, what? The? Like, it's so like, <laughs> not in a mean way, but like, <laughs> it's just like, that's on when you I started. Sound. That's on you intro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not in a mean way, but like, that was a crazy difference for me. Like, when I started to hear the difference between normal German and Swiss German, I was like, holy freak, that's, that's a pretty big jump. Actually, anyway. I, I'm not sure if I'm just like stupid. But I have like a lot of difficulties with understanding certain German accents. <laughs> like, like, I, like really, I find it very like Swiss, Swiss German is one of those, and uh, like like the really like rural Bavarian. I I just like <laughs> I just don't get it. <laughs> That's funny. Man. I have to like ask everything twice, and like it, it's I really have to concentrate. <laughs> well, if it's anything like it, it was funny, like I, so I learned French in the south of France, and so the south of France is kind of like the same. It's kind of got like it's not like hillbilly, but it has like it's almost like the southern slot, like the southern accent on French. So like 
usually you would say like c'est bien but there they say c'est bien like that or like uh bro that basically you, sounds you, like a cowboy to me <laughs> <laughs> yeah the cowboy already like... <laughs> oh is that, is that is that matthew mcconaughey oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> then they like you usually say like pain but they say like ping so like when i like went to switzerland afterwards because they speak more like really like they pronounce like every syllable and it's really slow so it's like je suis suisse et je viens de genève it's like that and literally i got there and i i swear as well like in the south like no swear words exist so like i was like talking to people and everyone was like dude like you gotta calm down like you're swearing like every three words i was like really like (laughs) i thought it was just like no and i was a volunteer as well so people were like freak like (laughs) you gotta calm down anyway I've completely sidetracked this podcast from Magic. Um, sorry about that. But I really did want to ask that question about Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me sidetrack this even more. Uh, <laughs> because you were talking about Switzerland. I recently yeah. flew with Air Swiss. And it's the it was amazing. Like, they just... <laughs> <laughs> you know how a lot of the time on the airplanes, like, you get, like, some food, you know? Just, like... Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, the, like easily the best food I've ever had on an airplane. Like you come in and they just like give you this like amazing chocolate bar, and then this amazing sandwich. <laughs> it's amazing. Okay, magic. We interrupt this podcast for a brief shout out to thedailymagician.com. Please head over there, sign up. We want magicians of all types, uh, all skill levels, uh, all passions, whether it be coin or card or mentalism or whatever you're into. We want you uh, and. We're excited to have you as part of our list. As we said before, we found out that Maurice Muller is actually part of the Dead Magician uh, club, I guess you could say, or mailing list. Uh, and it's really a great place to be. So please head over to thedeadmagician.com, sign up, and you will not regret it. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, oh, yeah. This is, I, I did actually have a pretty good, I had a decent question. Okay. So um, we're not going to name names about magicians that we dislike, but. There is an kind of what I think is a kind of false belief in magic. And again, not to offend anyone, like I have less experience in magic. Like it's fine. Like you can disagree with me. Please do disagree with me. But I just, there's this kind of thing where it's like, don't release magic until you're like 40, because then like, that's when like you're hitting your peak of magic. And then like, that's the only time that you could ever release a project, like a, a product is when you're like 40 years old and you've like mastered everything that you think you can master with magic. Right. And so obviously you, ha- I, I've seen a few of your products that are out on, and maybe you've changed your opinion since then, but I've seen your products out on penguin and illusionist and stuff. So what do you think about that? That whole like view of like, don't release magic until you're at least like, as good as Juan Tamaris, like, you know, until you can release a book, like, make sure you don't release any effects. I think it very much depends on what you're trying to release. And then you're, because like someone who is 18 can have more experience than someone who is 40, right? It's just, you can't really just like boil it down to the number. But I think it really depends on what you release. I think uh, if you just like release a cool move, like something you've worked on, something you do very well, and you just like release that with like some sense of humility. I don't think there's anything wrong with releasing when you're younger than 40, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, I think it becomes strange when, because I, 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 not naming any names, 
but I have read like certain booklets of some very young magicians and it just, it was just very arrogant sounding, you know, because mm. like a lot of like, oh, from performance experience and like, oh, you might think this, but you're wrong. My experience tells me that this, <laughs> and, and really easily, you know, it's like, he doesn't know what he's talking about, Ken said in, right? Mm. And it's not necessarily true, but it can just, yeah. there's the danger of falling into that trap. Yeah, I, I almost um, lean into the opposite, not the opposite view. I just think, like, for example, when, when I uh, put together... Uh, you know, like written instruction for, for products. Because what I was talking about earlier, where I'm such a, a technician, I, I try and give it to them uh, in in the sense of, all right, here is the method. Like, here is this cool thing that I found. Now, please <laughs> go take this and, and, and run with it. And, and I'm sure you'll do a better job of performing with it with me. I'm not going to you know, impose any of my biases on you, but you can't really get away, especially with the memorized deck. Like, you can't get away from the fact that, because uh, so much is it, so much of it is uh, mathematical. It's like, there is really no such thing well okay i'm not gonna say i don't know how to phrase this in the best way about giving away certain method elements but because of the way the memorized deck works let's say you put out a routine you can't really be subjective about that routine it's just like oh that works like you found a cool little principle there like when you do this this happens that's pretty cool so you can put that out and it's like you're not you know you're not telling anybody how to perform it but it's you're doing a disservice to them if you don't because it's like hey look i just spotted this thing that other people haven't spotted but if i if i tell them this they can go and do whatever they want with it, but it's just this yeah. sort of like intrinsic building block that they can throw in whatever they want. Also, I can think of so many examples of people who, who were very young and released amazing stuff. Like Hollingworth was 25 when Drawing Room Deceptions came out. Mm. Yeah, and I'm reading that now, actually. It, it, oh, it's such a good book. Amazing. Mm. Uh, and then Pitt Hartling released his little green lecture when he was 22, I think. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, yeah, and then he did, uh, you know, card fictions when he yeah, was yeah. 27, so also under 30. So a lot of people have released yeah. really Aaron Fisher's um, Paper Engine, I think he was, uh, I may be wrong, but 27? Maybe, maybe. I, yeah, I, I remember him being very young. I'm not sure about mm -hmm. the exact number. But yeah, there have definitely been things uh, put out that were very much worth people's time and money. So I don't think you can really boil it down to just the age thing. Mm -hmm. as well i also think it's it's kind of um so we come from a we have an interesting hybrid of perspectives where me and jacob we'd like to study magic a lot but we also love studying um like business and entrepreneurship and, and all that kind mm -hmm. of thing and you learn a lot of you learn a lot of interesting concepts that you don't learn in magic just and i think that's true of anything like the more different sort of hobbies pursuits interests industries you explore the more you sort of hybrid and mix and match and some of the yeah. most interesting innovations come from outside the intrinsic industry. But uh, my point I'm getting at is that one thing that we learn over time is that so much of what you do in terms of the, the decision-making process, like what you put out, when you put it out, et cetera, is all driven by serving the market. And it's all about how do you serve the market in the best way. And so um, I think if there was... Uh, it, it's a dis... Like I was saying before, it can be a disservice not to give something to the market because okay, maybe if you wait 20 years, okay, maybe you'll be 40 when you put this out. But there's a magician right now who's 60 who might very much like that move. But in 20 years, they might not be able to, you know, I'm trying to be harsh, but they might not be able to use their hands in the same way. And, and, and you've lost 20, they've lost 20 years that they could have been doing that innovation, that cool thing that you've come up with because you forced your uh, subjective limitation on them, which is, oh, I'm not ready to put this... It's not about you, really. It's more about uh, the people that you're serving. So 
it's it's i think it could be a little bit selfish to wait if there's people who are going to benefit from it now you know it's like okay let's put it out now maybe it's 90 percent of the way there but that's a heck of a lot better than waiting like 30 years and so many people who could have enjoyed it aren't going to enjoy it just for that extra like five ten percent i don't know if that any of that made sense but yeah it's kind of hard to verbalize i think the only thing i really have to say about that subject like of when should really release or is this worth releasing it's just, it depends. <laughs> and I'm sorry that it's such a vague and precise <laughs> answer, but I really think it's hard to talk about these things because you can never really address only one person, right? And if you are, because a lot of people are saying this sort of stuff, like, oh, you, stuff should be performed more before it's released. And I do agree to an extent, right? I, like when, when you spend a lot of time with magic books, you just read a lot of bad stuff, Right. And so I do definitely empathize with the thought of, you know, maybe these people should have waited a little longer before wasting my time with this crap. Mm. But I feel like for every time you say that, you might be discouraging someone who really should release his work mm -hmm. from, from doing so, right? And it's always hard to sort of breach that gap because you're talking mm. with people, like especially when you're doing podcasts or something like this public, right? Uh, it's you're always talking to both sides of the spectrum you're mm -hmm. talking to those guys who are like overly confident releasing stuff that hasn't been refined as much as it perhaps should have and i don't think me saying oh yeah gen in general people should wait longer would make that person not release what what they want to release right because people who are that because i think like overconfident like people who are overconfident is often the problem with like bad releases right mm -hmm. and i don't think mm -hmm who are in that bubble and on that ego trip would even like if i say wait a little longer i don't think they would take it to heart on the other hand i think someone who has amazing material and people are begging him to put it out would think yeah maybe i should wait a little longer you know mm. so it's, it's funny how that happens like the, <laughs> the people you're speaking to with that advice the people you want to be speaking to with that advice aren't going to listen to you but the people yeah. who you shouldn't be speaking to with that advice are going to listen to you and so it just ends up yeah yeah I, I get what you're saying yeah it, it's it's complicated i find it very hard to, yeah, yeah. to speak about these things i think but, would, mm -hmm. but in general i feel like magicians make too many general rules about stuff <laughs> like you know oh this has to be performed this many times in order to to be good and there's always exceptions right so i just think well if it's good it's good and if it isn't it isn't <laughs> yeah yeah i often think of it like um Actually, that's a total lie. I don't often think of it like this. I have um, things with Pete, right? Just and so now. It was, it, was, it was coming into my mind while you were speaking. I was like, oh, that's an interesting comparison. And then I was like, I guess I better like segue this. So like, you know, get a little opening going, get that podcasting, <laughs> podcasting flow going. So I was like, oh, I often, no. Okay, total lie. You made me think of it right now in a, a way that I haven't really thought about it before, which is um, when you think about scientists, right? And, and their career, they're, they're scientists, right? If they were to walk into the lab tomorrow, and you know, I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how uh, all these scientists do their job exactly, but let's say they have a, a test tube here, and they put this little droplet of this uh, formula in here, and then they get another formula, put the droplet of that in, and then something happens. They they look at the result in the test tube and they go, "Oh, this has never happened before. This is interesting. This is new." They have a moral, ethical, and professional obligation to share that with other scientists. Because it's not necessarily, oh, I'm going to wait and I'm going to keep this test tube in this room for 20 years until I figure out the missing piece of the puzzle and, and what I can do with this and explore every avenue of it. 
it's like, no, man, you've got like an, an ethical, uh, moral, perhaps even legal, I don't know how it works exactly, uh, definitely professional obligation to share this with other scientists. And then it's like, hey, I found this, let me pass the, the baton on to you and you can go and do, discover more of it. And it's like, with certain areas of magic, it, it probably varies from um, kind of niche to niche in, in terms of where you are in magic. But there's certain areas of magic, I think the Memorized Deck especially is like this, where you discover something and it's kind of like the scientific method where it's like, wow, this is cool. Um, I kind of have like a professional obligation obligation to share this with the other magicians because maybe I am not experienced enough, but I've just found this thing that they haven't. And so if I give it to them who are more experienced, you know, how much further could they take it? How, how much could they run with it? And so, um, like I said, that's an interesting analogy that just occurred to me as you were talking. But I think we covered that topic long enough, so um, mm-hmm. you don't need to necessarily uh, riff on that if you don't want to. No, I, th- I think it's uh, it's interesting and it's important, you know, because so many people are thinking of, about publishing stuff. So it definitely, and, 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 you know, I'm in the same phase right now. You know, I uh, have like a bunch of, like I have a book that I've been wanting to write and it's yeah. uh, sitting on my desktop right now and I like abandon it from time to time. Mm-hmm. And then I think, oh, I should wait longer and then publish it at some time when, when I performed it more, you know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's always a very individual sort of decision. but you know, with this with the science uh, example, I think it's interesting because it again goes to show that it's all about the attitude you publish with, mm-hmm. right? If you mm-hmm. publish it with the attitude of, you know, here's this thing I discovered, you guys run with it, more testing is needed, right? And that's mm-hmm. the, the the last paragraph of like any serious uh, scientific paper is, mm-hmm. you know, like the discussion. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, I forget because you actually are a scientist, right? In in a sense. Well, I study uh, a science. Psychology. What do you study? uh, Psychology. Yeah, so social science. But but Mm -hmm. yeah, every paper just ends with a discussion where you say, well, we could have used more people, like, and there was this problem that we had, uh, which may, may, like, steer the results into a certain direction. So more research is needed in this and this direction. But people rarely do that with magic, right? Mm. With magic, it's always like... (laughs) Yeah. It's always like, so yeah. I had this idea right. that re- revolutionized the way people, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of arrogant to think like, oh, this is definitely the finished form of it right now. Yeah, this is yeah, exactly. So I would say it definitely is to an extent about the attitude you publish mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. That's really fascinating. Oh, right. thank, thank, thanks for that. Yeah, that was uh, a, so I, there was a when, di- skirting around all kinds of controversial issues. Right. I know. From his accent. It's funny, you know, if some people could listen in this conversation, like, wait, sorry, wh- which part of that was uh, the controversial bit? Because people are so used to controversial being, like, controversial that, like, it's funny, man. Um, but when you yeah. get more, like, deep down into a hobby, though, you get more, more, in... okay, I don't, I'm not making sense. Um, what's the next question? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just want to ask, oh, uh, yeah, we're, we're, ne- we're nearing that hour mark, so. It's 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 been good. It's been good, and and I wanted to. I think we we had just a few more questions, at least for this segment of the podcast. Obviously, uh, as you guys know, if you listen before, we do a little a bit for our inner circle uh, that will be exclusive for them. Uh, for for this part, I just want to ask honestly, like, how how do you find the European scene for magic? Like, uh, you you know, you dropped a lot of names. Obviously, not in like a you're not being humble way, but I mean, I've heard you say a lot of big names, <laughs> like Fontamaris, <laughs> kind of like the king, you know? Um, so, like, 
how did you get connected with those people? Like, uh, I mean, maybe it was just conventions or whatever it might be, but like, like, you know, other than your dad, um, who seems like he's done a great job. <laughs> um, where, where did you find your mentorship and like, what was, what did the magic scene look like for you? Was it, was it, and... yeah, yeah. Was it a case of them coming to you as well? Is the other question. I yeah, guess. yeah. Well, I would say there are definitely certain people who you just like run into. Right. Mm-hmm. And that can just like happen, especially, you know, when you're around conventions a lot, when people, you maybe you publish some stuff, release some videos where people like start to like recognize you. So they wouldn't be, put off if you just went up and say said hello you know uh, right. but uh, on the other hand i have to say that definitely like the thing when i went to escrial and i got to meet like juan and all like the the spanish scene i definitely mm-hmm. annoyed all the people i knew with some sort of connection to the spanish scene for months <laughs> <laughs> until i got invited like it was definitely like it wasn't like this thing i was sitting at home and it was like well juan wants me to be that was not at all how it was it was like me like please 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 <laughs> for months and then yeah and then i actually i uh, i did a show with uh with um in, in spain where woody arrogant was the director oh, yeah. And oh, then nice. I, you know, I got to ask him if he could ask one for me, if I could come. And then, you know, it, it's definitely, there is effort involved in mm-hmm. meeting the right people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, interestingly, the people who are the best at what they do, like people like David Williams and people like Tamaris, people like Pitt Hartley, like they are the most open and nice people you could mm-hmm. ever meet. And it was right. like, I, I think there was this one time when I, I, I really, because I'm a huge fan of Pitt Hartley. Mm-hmm. Like, he's like easily top three closer performers for me right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I had his number and I, I really just like wanted to like, like call him. <laughs> You'll say like, out loud and we'll bleep it out. <laughs> and I for like three minutes in front of my phone, like, you know, like rocking back and forth. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I just like, and, and then I, I think the first words that I said was, hi, Mars, this is Pitt. Like, no, wait, <laughs> I, I well, you, you know what I mean. <laughs> So I completely, like, that conversation must have been very awkward for him. But, you know, we talked then for for a while, and then uh, he was like, well, just, like, come over. You can sleep on my couch. Just, you know, we can hang for a couple of days. What? And and then it was amazing. I just, like, went to Frankfurt, took a train there, and just got to to jam with Pitt for a couple of days. So it definitely is... Yeah, I'm... So, so getting back to the actual question, uh, how do I find the European <laughs> magic? So I, I think it's amazing. There's so many, so good people you, you can get in touch with. And, you know, to maybe those like wondering how they can find people they look up to, you know, it doesn't hurt to ask is basically what I would say. Like the worst thing that can happen is they would say no, and you definitely have to prepare for that. And I wouldn't have, you know, I, I wouldn't have been like pissed off at Pitt if he was like, if he didn't invite me to his place mm-hmm. without knowing yeah. me before, like, Bro, that is not a thing. I'm not even know. sleeping over? <laughs> what do you Come on. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but it's the thing, you know, just ask and it, it doesn't, that doesn't hurt. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember the first time I reached out to Pitt. Um, I, I can't remember. Honestly, I can't remember what. Oh, no, I do remember what. It was about his... Um, it's about quartets, right? It was about the quartets. I mean, I don't want to... I guess saying just saying the word is not the method. I don't want to get into yeah. the method, but yeah. anyway, I was about the quartet, and I'd wanted to share it in something I was teaching to some other people, and 
I just, you know, sent him a message saying, hey, can I, can I share this? And he was like super, super chill. He was like, yeah, yeah, share. And then he was like, oh, yeah, so like, can you send me this stuff as well? Like, like what is it? And you, you've, you've come up with and stuff. And then I sent it back and he's like, oh, amazing. You know, this, 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 and so giving notes on this. And, and, and then, uh, and then I sent him another thing. And then, um, it was kind of like what you were saying, just, uh, I think this maybe wasn't on the recording, but just before we started recording, we were just talking briefly about, uh, Michael Rubenstein and how you'd sent him. Uh, just because, you know, like when you put out one of your releases, you're just like, of course I'm going to send this to Michael Rubenstein. It's like Michael Rubenstein. So I'd sent Pitt some of those type of things too. And he, he messaged back and he, um, he, it amazed me the lengths he'd gone to. Um, cause the, he, he'd wanted to send me a picture of some, uh, diagram, uh, related to the memorized deck and, and specifically related to Mnemonica. And he said he, he did have it somewhere, but he couldn't find it. So instead he got like his deck and he started like arranging it on the floor you know, this card here, this card here, moving it like this, this, this. And then he took a picture of it in his phone and then he started annotating it on his phone in like different colors and words. And he said, oh, this should do and like send that over. And I was like, wow. <laughs> I mean, you really didn't have to do that, man, but that was, that was really nice. So yeah, it, it does surprise you sometimes. Like, you know, they're just people. So um, they're amazing magicians, obviously, but they're, they're still people. And like, yeah, like you said, worst case scenario that I was just not going to reply. Maybe they'll say no politely, but you'd be surprised how often they'll just reach out and then, you know, there you go, you got a new friend. Yeah, yeah. definitely. That's probably a good yeah, note cool. to end this main podcast on, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, um, I, with I that in mind... I, yeah, yeah, I, so just I was going to say... With... Question. <laughs> <laughs> this is... Okay. It just... No, it's just... Because I feel like it ended well, but... Oh my uh, dude, use the hand, dude. bro. Dude, do you see me over here? <laughs> I'm putting my hand up to talk. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry, man. You know, for the guys at home, like, there's, you can just, like, raise your hand and it, like, blinks up on, like, it, like, it on I'm the so screen. bad at they it. I'm so bad at that it. button. I'm estimating 10,000 times in a row. <laughs> right, I'm so going to make it an estimation, myself. though. So I'm betting it's very important to say right now. There you go, Jake. <laughs> okay, so my question was, just, just to end this on, like, you know, like, I feel like it's a nice note, like, we're, we're all pretty young. So I, I'm i 21, Benji's 20, you're 20. Um, here's our address. And, no, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I wanted to know, you know, what are your plans going forward? You know, you're like, you're studying psychology right now. It seems like that goes really nicely hand in hand with magic. Like, do you have any goals for the future? Like, where do you see your magic going? You know, you just talked about a book. I mean, not obviously like, Obviously, I'm not saying like you have to release a book, but um, yeah. <laughs> what what are your what are your plans for the future? Where, where do you see yourself in you know five ten years? Like, or do you not see yourself anywhere? Like, that's my question, basically. So basically, I definitely you know I'm doing the whole psychology thing sort of um, because I would like to keep magic as a secondary job <laughs> because I never want to be in a position where I like have to do certain gigs, have to do certain types of material just because yeah. it is commercial, you know? And you never know, you know, perhaps I wake up one day and, you know, magic just like doesn't like tickle me the way it does now anymore. And I definitely don't want to be, <laughs> I, I definitely don't, don't want to need to do magic. Yeah. Right? right. I don't want to be in a possession, uh, in a situation ever where that is my main, my, my main thing and my, like my only possibility, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Uh, and in, in, is in goals, in terms of magic, I just want to get better at what it is that I do. I want to explore more subjects. I want to gather more experience. Just keep, just like keep 
thinking about and working on the subject that interests me so much. And, you know, if, but all the stuff, I don't like have goals and as in stuff I want to have achieved by a certain age or a certain time. To me, it's just like whatever happens, happens. And whatever happens is a, a byproduct of just my continuing, like, um, my, my just like continuing effort to become better at magic and to explore more subjects with it within magic. And if that leads me to publishing a book, if that leads me to performing a lot, if that leads me to lecturing somewhere, you know, it's just to me, it's just a byproduct of the main goal, which is just to become better. I love that. That's cool. You may talk, Benji. You don't have to raise your hand. It's okay. You have something to talk. Uh, <laughs> um. Uh, no, no, yeah, I do. I, do. I didn't know. I didn't want to get too <laughs> deep into um, uh, lead and lag, but so I have this concept. I don't know if it's original. I don't think it's original to me, but I honestly can't remember where I heard it first or if it was uh, verbalized like this at the time. But I think of it in terms of lead and lag. And so a lot of people, um, when they set goals, set goals based on lag measures. And so maybe their goal is, uh, you know, I want to get uh, 10,000 followers on Instagram. Uh, I want to earn this much money. Um, and so a lot of people put their goals around what I call like lag measures. And so those are not really the best goals because it's nice if they happen and it's good to have them as goals, but you don't actually have control over them. And so a lead goal is something you do have control over. So for example, um, I'm going to you know post every week to my Instagram some cool video that's sharing this or that. Um, and I'm going to work every day on increasing my knowledge and my repertoire. And maybe down the road, that will lead to me releasing stuff that will make money. But that's almost secondary. And so lead comes first and then lag comes second. So when people set their goals based on lag stuff, like um, getting those followers, it's kind of a flawed, you're beginning in a forward way because you don't actually have control over that. The only thing you control is like the lead measure, which is, all right, what kind of content am I putting out? What am I doing here? What am I doing here? Um, And so... Yeah, maybe we'll save that for a different podcast, go deep on that. But it was interesting because I think if I was hearing correctly, that was basically what you were saying, although not uh, not said in that way, of course. Yeah, definitely. I think um, it, it is, you know, I, I'm really into endurance sports, right? I love running, I love mm-hmm. cycling. And what I think is very interesting in comparison to magic is like the objective measure you always have. Mm. Right, you have the time it takes you to run a 10k, you have the time it runs you to run a half marathon, you have the time it takes you to cycle 80k, right? And that's just like, and you have those numbers, and you, that, that means that you can set very specific goals, mm-hmm. right? You can say, uh, I want to run uh, 10k in under 45 minutes, mm-hmm. and you see the continuing progression, right? You see. Like whenever you try to do it, hopefully you're getting a little closer to that number. But in Magic, we really don't have that objective standard, you know, because and and that makes it very hard to set these uh, these goals. Like you can do stuff, of course, like posting to your Instagram or like professional aspirations. But there's really no measure for how good you are at Magic. There isn't even if your goal is to learn a certain technique, like when are you finished with it? You know, yeah. it's like the, the ambitious mm-hmm. riser. Like a lot of people can do it, like yeah, like kind of. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's. Like... Mm-hmm. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. I think I just want to get it in before I forget because it's so important. Um, I think if you're talking about in terms of measuring, how do you measure magic? Well, that's almost what I'm saying is that you can't. So lag is like results. You can't measure how good you get, but you can measure the lead, which is the the work you put in. So you can measure. Yeah. 
I'm going to do 20 minutes of practice a day. I'm going to practice the double lift right. 20 times. Uh, every Saturday, I'm going to sit down at this and this. And so you sort of control what goes in, but you can't control what yeah. goes out. Yeah, and I think, like, essentially, the way I've always, like, what I always tell myself, because I can be quite obsessive and also impatient with progress. Like, I want things to, like, work right now, right? You know, I, I'm not really a very patient person when it comes to that. So what I just, like, keep telling myself is that is that essentially what you just said. You know, you can't control what what happens. You can just control how much work you put in and whatever happens, happens. And I think that's probably the most healthy way to, yeah, to, to pursue any sort of thing that you love, right? Just, like, have that trust. Mm-hmm. The passion and the work you you put in will will pay off, right? Because I've I've never met anyone where it didn't. Like I've never met anyone who's who practices so much and you know reads so many magic books and is not good. Mm. Like like I very very rarely ever see that. So I think yeah, yeah. It's almost funny how simple it is. <laughs> it's like lean back and mm. trust that it will pay off in the end yeah. and it will work out. It's uh, that's so true. Um, I think that's that's a really lovely, positive way to end this segment. I, I, just one thing yeah, I was going to say is not it's not a point, but um, you were reminding me when you're talking about like metrics, like when you're running. All right, bro, I, I see the hand. I respect the hand. <laughs> um, that was a joke. One. Yeah. <laughs> it, it reminds me. Um, the only thing that's come closest to me to getting like like when you're running, you got like your split times, that kind of thing, and you can get really granular. There was one time I was watching. Um, I think it was Aaron Fisher's Pathways, maybe. And he's talking about the pass. And he says how when he was a kid, um, and I have no idea, I can't remember, if, uh, I just can't remember who the original guy he was talking about was. Some guy that was amazing at Magic said that when he was a kid, he would do the pass. And I'm, I'm making up the numbers, I can't remember. Say like uh, 50 times, 60 times, I don't know, yeah, like 50 times a minute. And so Aaron was like, okay, all right. I'm gonna do the pass a hundred times a minute, and then he set that as like a goal, and so that's the closest I've ever seen to like split times and stuff. I don't know yeah. if, if he hit that or not, but I guess maybe he did because it looks like it paid off. Wait, what was the hundred a minute? Uh, I'm I'm making up the numbers, but it was some. Oh, okay. Because I was hoping it's whatever, whatever the yeah, whatever the original number was, it was just okay. double that. I know. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, that's some some speedy hands, man. I, I actually tested myself on that. Oh, sorry, that might have made the mic make some weird noise. No, no, you. But can't. I remember I got like a stopwatch, and I, I got the cards. And I was like, I'm not like a move monkey, but like I know how. <laughs> I was just curious. Like I want to see like what's my time, and so I can't remember. But it was, it was, it was let's say the, it, it was somewhere yeah, in the seventy range. You know, I'm pretty sure it was a world big, record, but, but like <laughs> it, it wasn't official. Like I didn't have any like, witnesses around, but <laughs> no. <laughs> It's funny. It's a fun thing to try if you listen at home. Get a stopwatch out. Don't do it all the time because it it just it's a weird thing to get. It's probably not a healthy thing to get obsessed about. But if you get a stopwatch out, you do the pass, and then okay, you set the time, you start, and you got sixty seconds. See how many times you can do the pass in those sixty seconds, and I don't know, post your results somewhere. <laughs> I think a lot of magicians really want that objective measure because they're missing it. I think maybe. Right? Because like that's the thing that David Blaine, you know, he's the world record holder yeah, yeah. for breath, like, I don't know, like seventeen mm-hmm. minutes or something. Like I recently heard the TED talk where he like talked about how he prepared yeah. for it, like how his obsession with keep like uh, holding your breath began. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, I think a lot of magicians have those sort of obsessive tendencies. 
because magic is so like immeasurable and so mm. non-objective because like most of my friends in magic have something like that mm-hmm. like some other part where they are, where it can be completely rational and completely measure their progress mm-hmm. and yeah i've actually just started uh, trying to hold my breath in the bathtub oh yeah Oh, well, like, Ryan, you gotta be careful with that one. <laughs> I, just, I just take I just try to hold. Bro, that's not hel- that's not helping, man. <laughs> you gotta make sure you got somebody. Like, cause I remember, cause I, I think I did the same thing when I was like, um, I don't know, fifteen, sixteen. I can't remember when, but I, I'd watched his stuff, and I was like, wow, that seems like a pretty useful, pretty useful skill to have, I think. But so I started like looking into it, and I read a book called Deep, and it's all about like people do like free diving, like how they hold their breath, and. It was fascinating because she's not doing it. It actually starts to work. But one thing they always say <laughs> is, A, you know, never do it alone. And B, especially yeah. never do it alone in a bathtub. <laughs> so, bro, I got to call you out on that because like, that's, a, that's yeah, a public yeah. health yeah. announcement right there. Not the most important thing. <laughs> Unless you've got somebody in there with you, but I, I don't imagine you do if you're taking a bath. No comment. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> All right, let's, let's, let's wrap this one up here. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the only thing I have still in my mind is that I was talking about reaching out to uh, magicians. I was going to say, obviously, anyone wants to reach out to us, uh, Benji at thedailymagician.com or Jacob at thedailymagician.com. Um, mm-hmm. We will be happy to hear from you. And, and don't forget to go to thedailymagician.com to sign up to get the daily emails with content like this daily. Uh, and I think that's it. Let me know if yeah, I It's been a pleasure. Oh, and, 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 uh, and Maritz, obviously, yeah, if you want to reach out to Maritz, how could I uh, miss that? Because we were just talking about like how uh, important it is to just like, yeah, yeah. approach people you, you, you want to get in touch with. So what I would just like to end on is um, please leave me alone. <laughs> 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 I'm kidding, of course. Whatever. You're cutting your Instagram or anything. <laughs> I was about to answer. And, I was and like, you. <laughs> oh, frick. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you have any... um? plugs you want to put in like i uh you got any releases that you think people should definitely check out is the one that's like i know you have a few but is the one you think okay this is the one if you only want to check out one of them this is the one well if you i okay this is like i don't like want to like do this like huge ad segment but i have this download out called retention which is Mm -hmm. essentially my work on the retention vanish and false transfers in general and Mm -hmm. uh yeah, just there's a lot of thoughts that have gone into that because, like, as I said in the beginning, like, you, you know, like the French job and the false transfer was like one of my first, the first techniques I really fell in love mm-hmm. with and began performing all the subtleties. So that is like the culmination of mm-hmm. most of my work on that. So if and, and, yeah. are and interested if, in checking that out. And to get there, go to illusionist.com slash products slash uh return 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 which is a uh, spell r-e-t-u-r-n-t-i-o-n dash by dash marites m-o-r-i-t-s dash mueller m-u-e-l-l-e-r i think that should do the trick or just google it i mean it's going to be the first result I, I, <laughs> I loved i loved it was like i feel like it must be the only magic trick on illusionist that was like featured on like lad bible <laughs> i was like i love that i was Wait, like you, you, his, i didn't see that <laughs> yeah it's like Moritz Mueller, like lad bible i was like yeah that's <laughs> it. it was just so insane how that video like went all over the place like yeah. <laughs> i was just like there's, there's 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 no way 
anyone but like David Blaine and and like you know the big boys <laughs> have got like Lad Bible as like featured on. <laughs> I'm for you guys. I think you know putting out stuff in the ages of the internet is very weird because I'm and I'm sure you guys can relate like with podcast episodes or the, the kind of stuff that you, mm-hmm. you you put out. It's like for me. The day after I put it out, I'm completely done with it. <laughs> like I, I want no part of it anymore. It's like yeah. completely like gone from my mind. But then all the positive feedback starts pouring in. Well, hopefully, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like you're completely. Remo- I am at least like completely removed from the situation at that point. I think it's like, it's yeah. it, it's interesting as well because when you do it, um, like like we said, it's got it's for illusionist, and so. It is kind of, um, I don't want to say it's easier. Actually, yeah, what the heck? It's it's way easier, right, if you put it through Illusionist. Obviously, they, without getting too deep into the, the business side of it, they're going to take a, a cut of it because you're distributing it through them. Um, but the benefit is, like, they're going to take care of all the, the sort of uh, customer support, you know, if there's any payment issues. All that stuff is kind of taken care of. And so, um, obviously, you'll have people reach out, but it's it, it must be kind of nice that you put it out. It's like you kind of have them taking care of it, whereas it's, at least in our experience, when you, when you put it out yourself, it's like you got to deal with all, the, which is not a bad thing. I like I like talking to customers and um, getting to know them and stuff, but it is a little bit harder to detach yourself from it because you got to constantly maintain all mm-hmm. that support. Yeah, and definitely, like working with Illusions has just been really like for my situation, it has really worked out quite well because they mm-hmm. actually flew to Germany to film a thing, and right, right. you know, for me it was like you know, like obviously I put a lot of work into the yeah. thing before releasing it, right? But like But you actually, you only really had to worry about the was, artistic yeah, exactly. side of it. I just had to worry about the artistic side and you know, mm-hmm. it just like took a lot of stuff off my hands. Yeah. It's it's funny as well, because when you said that I was like not only do I want nothing to do with the product I just released, literally, like, the thought of it just, like, gives me, like, PTSD with, like, all the stress that, like, went into creating it. Because me, me and Benji just just finished, a, well, just finished, been, like, a month. We, we finished, like, a huge project where it was, like, over 100,000 words, like, 23 hours of, like, content. And, oh, my gosh, like, <laughs> the thought of, like, going back into that, like you said, is, like, I'm, like, oh, no, like, I'm done with that product for now. <laughs> You know, yeah. it's, it's it's interesting, and then you like, yeah, yeah. and then it's, then that's when that's when everyone starts saying, "Oh, like this was great," and you start like actually getting like, yeah, it's like, oh, can you do it. another one of these? It's like, well, okay, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, also, all right, we we really should end it. Um, I mean, we don't have to, but I'm just thinking we we said that like 20 minutes ago. Um, there's also <laughs> Maritz put out a one coin routine. I was just remembering because I actually watched that just to kind of get myself uh, in the in the zone for this one, and. Uh, yeah, you kind of you kind of got me with that last vanish at the end. <laughs> um, but that is also on Illusionist, uh, Maritz Mueller, one coin routine. Um, and I think with that, we, we can wrap up this main section. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank yeah, you. We, we, we really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. And thanks to everyone who bothered to listen. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool.